0: Good morning and thanks for joining me for today's Club webinar, Transform, Don't Optimise. How can a history-based theory of change power radical reinvention of investment philosophy and practice? In 2021, the Deep Transitions Futures Project convened a global panel of influential investors to formulate a new investment philosophy to accelerate the disruptive, fundamental and systematic changes required to avoid ecological, societal and planetary disaster. The result was the transformative investment philosophy and associated action oriented principles, which Victoria Ward and Dr Wendy Schultz from Jigsaw Foundation will be presenting to us today. Victoria Ward is the director of Jigsaw for Foresight and has over 25 years experience at the forward edge of organizational change, including as a head of research, chief operating officer and chief knowledge officer. She's also been on the FTSE 100 Index Steering Committee the Board of Life and the Financial Services Tribunal. Victoria holds a degree in modern and medieval languages from Cambridge University, a postgraduate certificate from the Tavistock Institute and Working Groups and is an accredited coach. And Dr. Schultz is an internationally renowned futurist with over 40 years experience in global foresight practice, designing futures research projects for NGOs, government agencies and businesses, including for Chatham House, the UK Law Society and ILO. She holds a Master's and PhD in Future Studies from the University of Hawaii, is on the faculty of the Master's Program in Strategic Foresight at the University of Houston, is a Senior Fellow of the Center for Post-Normal Policy and Future Studies, a Fellow of the World Future Studies Federation, and a Fellow of the Geneva Center for Security Policy. I think it's the most time I've seen future in a paragraph before. <laughs> um, now, Before I hand over to Victoria and Wendy, the usual brief housekeeping points from me. If we haven't met yet virtually or in person, I'm Charlotte D'Orbrashley and I manage the FS Club here at CN and I'd like to warmly acknowledge our very generous sponsors who enable us to continue to bring you a wide range of thought-provoking content across finance, technology and economics. As usual, the slides for this presentation are publicly available on our website And at Box. We'll be recording this session and it will be available to watch on our website within 48 hours. And we'll also be holding a 20 minute Q&A after this presentation. So please use the GoToWebinar chat facility to type your questions into me early on, and then I can feed them into the conversation. Now, without further ado, it's my pleasure to hand over to you, Victoria.
1: Thank you very much, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte's really laid out the context extremely well. So let's um, move quickly to the next slide and uh, show you how we're going to spend the next uh, 20 minutes. Uh, We're going to take you a little bit through the Deep Transitions project uh, and the Futures panel that we worked with. Some of the highlights of the theory of change, which has informed a transformative investment philosophy and principles. And then we'll look at where this very important project is going next, and Charlotte will then chair the questions. I would just like to say before I hand to Wendy to um, take us through some of the meat of our uh, presentation, what a privilege it is to be here. Thank you, Charlotte and Michael and everyone at ZEM for having us. And also, in an anticipatory way, what a privilege it has been for Wendy and me to be part of this Deep Transitions work and being a continued part of it. So uh, I'm feeling very privileged right now. Wendy, over to you.
2: All right. I think we need to move rapidly through the next two slides. That's more about us. Next slide. That's more about what we do. Next slide. Deep transitions. All right. The project. Next slide, please. What is a deep transition? So let me see how quickly I can summarize what is, in fact, a really dense theory. It's the core part. Um, of this theory or the core focus is about essentially complexity. And one of the, as I'm going to start off with a quote from HL Mencken, every complex problem has a solution which is simple, direct, plausible, and wrong. So it takes a complex system to transform a complex system. Deep transitions theory basically suggests that any deep transition, that is a truly profound civilizational shift, requires transformations that link across many sociotechnical systems, I'll be defining that in a second, in ways that support and amplify onward change. Sociotechnical systems like the global food chain, the energy system, and our systems of mobility, which are the three examples we actually worked with in the Deep Transitions project. Next slide. Next slide. So core concepts. What is a sociotechnical system? They are those systems of infrastructure, people, actors that provide key societal needs, like food, energy, mobility, water, health, et cetera. And they generally consist of actors, operating assumptions and rules, and infrastructure. Five key elements, science and technology, industry, culture, consumer behavior, and policy. Rules are basically all the explicit and implicit understandings of how we get things done, right? How things work and how we get things done. So our values, our beliefs, but also explicit framings of values and beliefs like laws and regulations are accepted patterns of behavior about how we move around, what we eat and what we want to eat, how we use energy. All of those are part of the rules. Again, they can be implicit and explicit. The regime is essentially what, we, what what our operating system is today, right? It's the set of stable and consistent rules that are currently dominant and that we take for granted as the way we do things. So along with the actors who reinforce and benefit from those rules, and so those actors tend to work to strengthen and codify the existing regime and keep it dominant. Niches are those little seeds of change that are popping up here and there that essentially you could call seeds of tomorrow, springing up today, that are, they may be radical innovations, so new technologies. They could be revolutionary new scientific paradigms, new business models. They could be um, new uh, social practices, anything that demonstrates an alternative to the current rules and regime. Those are the basic concepts we're working with and now back to Victoria for a historical example. I would like the next slide and
1: while it's coming up Wendy that's magnificent. This is a very dense theory um, and there's plenty more that you can read about it Uh, but I think Wendy has given you the bones that will help you understand what we're about to say. So let's go back in history. The first deep transition in the theory uh, and work and practice of sustainability transitions, which has been going on for about 25 years, was the Industrial Revolution. That led to profound innovation and reinvention, patchily in different parts of the world, and it's still going on today. Our society changed, our systems changed, our energy, mobility and food systems changed, and all those changes were strongly interlinked. Now, that had some very good sides, and it also had some very bad sides because, for example, we are now still using fossil fuels, we're exploiting resources, there's biodiversity loss, so it's a very mixed picture, but it nevertheless was a massive reinvention of society and technology as we understand it. So it is by looking at that first deep transition that this theory of change has been constructed. If we move to today and the next slide. What the work we've been involved with is thinking about is what would it take to create a second deep transition? How can we intentionally set ourselves towards futures we might want, changing many systems at the same time? And sustainability transitions, the second deep transitions, thinks about how we can apply the theory to get out of the crisis that we're in, the planetary crisis, the people crisis, um, and so on, and make ourselves resilient and sustainable as a a society. And that brings us to um, a a little theoretical picture on the next slide. Uh, a, A very important point about using this theory is that nearly all of our application of resources in the way we think and act at the moment as investors, as policymakers, as governments, even as ourselves, might tend to optimise the system we're in because that's what we can manage. That's what our systems support, that's what the existing regime backs. Some people will go further and partially redesign a system, for example, electronic vehicles with electronic charging and so on and so forth. There's a little bit of redesign beyond optimisation as we move away from combustion engines but that's still not a systems change. And so a systems change takes transformation of all kinds and it also takes thinking about the, the justice repercussions of the changes that you make. So it's not just about in, in, in income, it's about are we doing this in a socially just way? Are we making the transition fair? So systems change is about applying many kinds of resources and being wary of getting stuck with a systems optimization mindset. And those two words, optimization and transformation, are two words that you will hear a lot as you get into the meat of deep transitions. Um, Wendy, I think it, oh no, it's me next. So it's still me. Um, So in summary, what can we learn from the first deep transition and the theory of change that has been developed And how can we apply that to shape the future and the second deep transition? And that's where the Deep Transitions Futures Project comes in. It was funded by uh, James Anderson and Bailey Gifford, an asset management company, in 2021. Next slide, please. Uh, to fund the Deep Transitions research team, who I must say are an absolute joy to work with. They're incredible, brilliant, entertaining, wonderful academics and people from other worlds as well. How could uh, so that they, they were funded to work with a stellar panel of global investors uh, on the next slide, please, just to give you a flavour from all kinds of geographies, from all kinds of institutions, um, to come together and go, well, so what can we do about this? How can we create an investment philosophy that is transformative and beyond ESGs and other activities that have been going on? Next slide, please. I'm not gonna go through the detail of this, but the point I wanted to make is we started out Wendy and I convened the year-long panel, so we were responsible for the design and facilitation of a panel that was nearly all virtual, unexpectedly, because of COVID. The first set of meetings was about getting to grips with the deep transitions theory from the investor's point of view and everyone getting to know each other. The middle bit, which Wendy's about to talk to you about, was world building, as we now call it, which is imagining preferred futures. And the third um, piece, which is where I'll end up with, is thinking about having thought about future worlds we would like to make. How can we apply the theory to create a philosophy and principles that power a new kind of investment? Wendy, over to you.
2: Uh, Right. So how did we actually build three desirable worlds that could serve as potential um, endpoints? or designs that we we wanted to move towards. We began with niches and we ended with niches. So we looked at emerging niches in each of our key example socio-technical systems, food, energy, and mobility. And we, we identified where those niches followed some similar new alternative rules across systems in different ways. So an emerging innovation in energy possibly supported an emerging innovation in mobility or a different way of uh, moving food. So identify where niches followed similar rules across systems in ways that amplified the effect of all their interconnected changes in food and energy mobility. We clustered them following similar um, sort of uh, design patterns and, and value patterns into three different storylines driving towards three different desirable future worlds. Next slide. Next slide. The storylines um, are differentiated by primarily by the values and worldviews that have created this new set of rules and a new regime. First, Do No Harm really focused on innovating by designing in harmony with nature and respecting the local context. It was far more distributed and decentralized. It focused on ecological regeneration and restoration. Next slide. After the Frugal Turn, really focused on creating a very different worldview from what we might call the Uh, consumerist hyper-growth value set that is currently basically underlying most of the global economy and the idea that people would aim towards a sufficiency in consumption uh, partially as a response to unprecedented global disasters and shocks. So people are pulling back, living, doing much more with uh, much, much less. And then next slide. The final Uh, storyline, the final desirable world, we called Earthshot, and it basically takes a centralized big tech, high technology approach to throwing different um, big solutions at transforming world systems and addressing climate change. We then use those three different storylines to create action maps to show how different, next slide, different collections of niches, so this is a, a, a map where people were trying to create an ecology of niches that would support each other and tend to drive towards the do-no-harm world. And that was basically world-building and working with the worlds. So, Victoria. Um,
1: That's lovely. And Wendy, I want to pick up the term storyline, because these weren't predictive futures. These were imagining what futures we might prefer and then using those storylines to bring a world building mindset rather than just an investment mindset to thinking about how to invest. Um, So we took that background in world building and some pretty creative and demanding uh, collaborative sessions, highly creative, highly demanding, and constructed the transformative investment philosophy, which you can download and read uh, from, uh, from the website of Deep Transitions. Next slide, please. Um, where these pictures are in because this was literally the only time we met. I just want to say we did this interdisciplinary work virtually, and that took a great deal of good humor, suspension of judgment, a willingness to collaborate with relative strangers uh, monthly, when you all, everybody had very busy schedules. And the only time we met was in May or June, early June last year, where we came together for two days in Utrecht and hammered out. The, um, those of us who could be there. And some you can see Jack inviting to be there on, the, on his computer. So this was the only time we met in a year's worth of work. And what we hammered out, although that's rather an industrial revolution metaphor, isn't it? What we constructed, <laughs> what we co-created, that's a bit more of a modern term, was 12 investment principles. Um, and they took a lot of getting to. And they're in four groups about goal-setting, investment strategy, investment process, and sharing and learning. And each of those, with the subsets, which I'll just pick four to talk to you about in a bit more detail, um, what's the right term? Make serious demands that stretch investment priorities and also stretch the willingness of investors to take risks that fight the current regime, that fight the current system, that fight current assumptions about how we make change. I'm just going to pick four to talk about in more detail to give you a bit of a flavour. These are four that strike me as were particularly different as a consequence of the world building exercise that we did. So they stand out a little bit for me. Other people will have ones that they see. Firstly, include and give voice um the investors were already socially aware very committed to social justice but they felt that actually people who might be impacted by investment decisions need to be an earlier part of thinking about the consequences of those decisions so how do you broaden the inclusion of voices and make it earlier in the investment process than normal investment process does the second which wendy has already spoken to you about very compellingly is taking the time Uh, to visualise desirable futures, to build these storylines out that Wendy spoke about. Now, I would say that in retrospect, when we asked the panellists about the aha moment for them, it was taking that time to build out storylines before you make decisions, technical decisions or structural functional decisions about how to invest. Many of them said that was a complete game changer for them to see themselves as world builders. The third in the investment process that I'm picking out of the three there is about opening up, don't lock in. We spoke earlier about the importance of understanding, not just not optimizing, but aiming to transform and on the way, not making investment decisions that might lock in things you will later regret because you've made a decision and you can't go back on it because of the way things have changed. So a real principle of being opening up and opening up at the level of many systems changes, not just the one thing you're investing in. And that might also mean opening up what you do next door to your investment to help that investment make a genuine systems change. And then the final thing in sharing and learning, I've picked out here, share learnings. Lots of the investors had been doing this kind of thing in isolation because they were all interested enough to come to a very demanding year long panel. You know, they volunteered their time and energy um, way beyond actually what they might have thought originally the commitment was. I think, and many of them found a great relief in having a safe space to share learnings and not be alone to work out how what they're learning from each other, how their experiments are changing things, how they're changing their investment practices. So that that sense of being together in it and having companions, I think became very important to them. And it's part of why, if I go to the next slide, and I've got three minutes, I think, for us. Yes, we've got three minutes, Wendy, to get through what's next. Okay, all right. so those principles and all of this work are being carried forward into what's being called the Deep Transitions Lab, which is an internally safe experimental place whose mission is to contribute to the sustainability revolution by. Um, experimenting, running research programs, and running training and outreach. There's much more about that on the website and in the investment philosophy, but it's already gearing up and starting to do some very interesting work. I will pass to Wendy to talk to you about one small piece of the kind of work that uh, is sort of in the time between the philosophy and the lab as it gears up. Right, so
2: next slide. The Network for the Greening of a Financial System is a regulatory body that, among other things, asks that investors do due diligence in sense-checking their portfolio designs against three forecasts for climate change. Bailey Gifford asked us to expand and um, extend and sort of flesh out, especially in narrative terms, those forecasts into actual story-based scenarios. These are exploratory, they're not desirable. Next slide. Mm. Right, so that's this project was the NGFS climate scenarios expansion, next slide. What we did was use a scenario wireframing and an impact cascade mapping technique. If you're thinking, what? Talk to me later about that. That <laughs> focused on particular geograf- geographic area as an example for each of the forecasted outcomes. And the the base information we had were the, again, uh, modeled forecasts of three different sets of climate outcomes that NGFS produced. Um, one was a kind of, uh, we sort of muddle through, but things are kind of fragmented and we don't coordinate our responses, divergent net zero. One was net zero, we do pretty good and kind of get there, and one was disaster scenario. That's all I'm gonna say about this, but click through to the next slide. And yeah, the next three slides actually,
0: these
2: are more detail. Yeah, so just keep clicking through. And essentially what we did with those three scenarios and there are actually stories attached to them, is the BG investment teams use these to test portfolio design assumptions and identify risks and opportunities in a workshop session that we've devised for them. On to Victoria for the next. For
1: the last one. So just, can I have like 60 seconds Charlotte or would you like to cut me off? Okay. No, I keep going. You. Okay, so that's on the investor side. On the other side, Wendy and I have taken the investment philosophy and pieced it together with a lovely open source thing called Climate Fresk that any of you can Google that was created by a French school teacher, which is a way of participatory systems mapping cause and effect in climate change, whether you're a school kid or a professional, anything at all. And we spliced that piece of participation together with a version of what we're doing in the panel with some scientists from Natural England, climate scientists and scientists of various kind, earth scientists, and played the niche game. So what niches could they, as Natural England, influence, having thought about what they might want to influence as an institution in things like healthy earth or marine biodiversity? And the kinds of things they came up with was, well... What if we played a role in re-educating salmon farmers because salmon farming is not good for marine biodiversity and helped with the funding and construction of a mussel farming um, uh, academy so the salmon farmers can be retrained as mussel farmers and mussels are terribly good for the world and you can eat them. Marine biodiversity, food, the lot. So, that's the kinds of ways in which this work is being taken out to create new movements and new practices and new philosophies. Charlotte, thank you very much for allowing us to overrun.
0: No, thank you very much. We're sort of right on time, and that was really interesting. We've got um, a lot of questions coming through, but uh, to kick things off, I'm going to ask, what do investors think are the most challenging aspects of the principles you mentioned?
1: Shall I take that and then, Wendy, if you can think of anything to add add it on? Yes, please. Um, It's a great question. I think the demands of the existing regime about which beneficiaries they prioritize. So it's very hard for the existing trustees or existing policymakers to really prize future generations and the planet on equal terms with the people who have some direct connection with whatever the investments are so that leads to then investors being able to stick their necks out so these people have to take risks possibly as mavericks in their own institutions to fight the existing system so i think it's their personal risk-taking appetite to persuade the existing regime to change Wendy, do you what do you think
2: yeah i think that is that is the main difficulty for them that they are they are situated in the dominant regime and trying to essentially um, provide the seeds to switch to an entirely different regime to stay in the theory. And also um, it requires use of some creativity muscles that maybe they haven't had to flex very often, which was the other part of what they enjoyed about the process, frankly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. And um, Hugh Purses asked, are you optimistic for the global growth of niches, the space for radical innovation, or are we in a phase where this growth is being suppressed?
1: Ooh, Wendy, you start with that one. That's
2: a great question, Hugh. It is a great question, and and it's interesting because there are apocryphal stories about giant corporations buying up innovations and then burying them in files someplace, but quite frankly, with the massive decentralization and access to knowledge that we're seeing, and so the decentralization and the distribution of um, creativity and, um, and co-working and things like makerspaces, I am always optimistic about people people's ability to innovate and to come up with new ideas. It is what we do best as a species. We are mad innovators and madly playful in ways that are productive. And Hugh, what I want to add to that, which
1: I think Wend is absolutely right, is there is really easy access to startup possibility. Uh, the do- you, know, you know, platforms and knowledge and the ability to just get up and go. The challenge here is to educate those startup investors and their venture capital backers in the need for this to be systemic experimentation, not just a quick good idea. So the education in the commitment to the values of systemic change and bundling up of niches to make that is, well, you might get pockets of growth, but bundling up niches to really break through, that's a whole different order of, of challenge. So that's the thing we have to be able to do.
0: Great, another um, interesting question from um, Clive Bullen. Can you apply your thinking to UK politics and what would you advise to change UK politics to build a better country and world? Okay, I'm going
1: first. (laughs) I'm going first. I believe that you can apply this philosophy, this theory of change, this philosophy and these principles to pretty much any allocation of resources. So I believe this should be at the heart of not policy, perhaps not politics, but policy making. And as a result of that, you would change the relation, the way policy decisions are made and shared. So I think you can, and I think in some places like uh, Switzerland, they've done some very interesting things with new technologies like sociocratic decision-making that we just skirt around the edges of here that would have a knock on impact. Whether he would want to go for the middle of politics right now, maybe you would because it's a wobbly system. Maybe this regime is falling. Maybe this is the time to get in, hollow it out, and get a new way of thinking transformatively into it. So maybe this is exactly the right time. Clive, this
0: could be your job. (laughs)
2: This could be what you're Wendy, what do you think? I'm sorry, I'm gonna recuse myself from this question, Charlotte. As you can tell from my accent, I'm from the United States and right now. Uh, our system is has gotten so insane, psychologically, literally speaking, that I just don't even want to comment on politics at the moment and don't feel I can po- comment on UK politics. I'll leave that uh, to Terry. Fair enough. Very um,
0: Yeah, <laughs> very diplomatic. So um, Trevor Hilda has asked, do battery-powered EVs stack up as a good investment in your terms, aligning with the principles you discussed?
1: I can't answer that question because I'm not technologically an energy person. What I can say is if you go and look at the investment philosophy, it gives some very good examples of how we got from catalytic converters as a response in the 1970s to pollution and so on, to a sort of partially redesigned system with EVs and plug-in stations and all the rest of it. And what it would it take actually to break through is a different attitude to transport and mobility to private ownership uh, to sharing resources Um, you know it, it takes a next step kind of value shift in society for the partial redesign that has come about through evs to be genuinely a breakthrough for systems so but i'm not a technical expert in the energy sector or the transport sector so i'm sorry that that's a bit beyond my remit wendy Well,
2: what I would say is actually we had people who were technical experts on both the energy system and the mobility system writing the background papers for the Deep Transitions Project. And there is a wealth of material uh, related to specific... Uh, topics in food, energy, and mobility, and addressing some of those very questions about because it actually was an argument in the team. So as we go, look, here's a cool new innovation, and the people that were very deep into deep transitions would say, well, no, that's really just an incremental change; it's not transformative. So we got to be very picky about you know what was truly a uh, an innovation that might completely rewrite the rules. That's what we're talking about. Whereas, if if you like. EVs that are completely not owned, that are shared, mobility as a service, that rewrites the rules in a lot of ways, or at least it would in the United States where car culture is so much is so deeply embedded as part of the current dominant regime, as they say. But I, I encourage people to go to the project website because there is just an enormous amount of research material and, and insight that was generated across the two years of this process there.
1: I just want to add one other thing too, because like you're absolutely right to raise this question because of course the exa- the extractive consequences of EV for batteries and that kind of thing has another sort of knock on impact and at that stage I would point you straight back at Dr Wendy Short's Global Futurist to help you think through impacts and impacts of impacts using foresight tools so that's you know actually imagining the consequences and the consequences of those consequences is something that should probably built in more and more to this kind of thinking, um, technologically and,
2: so- and in terms of society and values. And that is much more the work that actually we did with the NGFS climate scenarios expansion. And in the workshop that we created out of that material is to help people think through what um, impact cascades would result both from various shocks that the climate change might produce, um, in any system, and also people's adaptive responses, which tend to generate new innovations, new niches, and how that might represent investment opportunities. So it's the one thing about change is that it's never. Completely terrible or completely wonderful. It's it and, and and judging whether it's terrible or wonderful is completely subjective. So what may be a disaster to me may be an opportunity to you. And it's partially having it, it's about having that conversation really with a lot of the futures materials that we have developed both for deep transitions futures and for the NGFS uh, the Bailey Gifford NGFS work.
0: Yeah, Trevor says thank you uh, for the intelligent answer both and. Um, David Good has asked quite an important question, so part of the dominant system is how we understand growth. Do we need a different growth metric as part of the system change?
2: Wendy I would say yes okay so i'm I'm going to be candid here and also give you a little of my personal context. the um truly award winning um futures studies department at the University of Hawaii where I got my graduate degree was embedded in the political science department. And it was unique among American university political science departments, not conservative, but in actual fact, kind of neo-Marxist critical theory critique every power structure they could get their hands on. So I come from kind of a radical background to begin with. And it was hard not to constantly sort of have a Raise, raise the reminder that we were attempting to transition away from a dominant regime using this set of theories with a group of people who were sitting essentially at the top of the dominant regime, right? Who controlled enormous amounts of um, influence and and resources, which is exactly why we wanted to give them a new mindset but the 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 difficulty here is that you are in a um it's it's a very uh um delicate balancing edge it's it's a kind of knife edge of of trying to both have a conversation with all the actors in the dominant regime who've got a certain way of thinking about things and who can exert power because they have the resources of that regime while at the same time saying, but we have to do things, you have to exert that power in different ways. We have to think about different metrics. We have to think about growth being perhaps growth in the health and wellness of both people and the living systems of our planet, rather than growth being financial return on investment. And yet if they don't get financial return on investment, they can't invest the money in the niches to make the change. So it's, um, what was I saying about complex systems require complex systems? (laughs) I'm gonna reinforce
1: that. I think you said that beautifully, Wendy, uh, challenging what growth is. And I would just direct you back to two of the three preferred futures. You could argue, do no harm. First, do no harm. We shorten it mistakenly. And the frugal turn both imply growth of a different kind, growth of care for the planet, growth of protection for people, not growth in the way that we would tend to use the word. And the frugal turn points to growth of recycling and repair, which already happens in a lot of parts of the world, but not in others that find careless access to, sorry, that's a judgment, easy access to resources. So actually two of the three Future world storylines, as Wendy called them, the preferred futures that came out of the work we did with the panel, scanning, blah blah blah, collaboration, have in them implicitly an assumption that growth is a different kind of word.
0: Yes, yeah,
1: when you could argue, has the way we think of growth now. So I think that kind of underlines your point,
0: Wendy. That's great. We've got um, time for a couple more questions. Uh, Sam Stevenson has asked to what extent will the second deep transition be driven by the pursuit of financial gain and return, as opposed to being driven by a social desire to change worldviews with the belief that such shifts can ultimately create more opportunities for financial gain?
1: I think I have to answer this personally, rather than on behalf of the deep transitions team who I'd like to give another shout out to because they're incredible to work with. I think think it has to be a values-based transition that couples the right kind of economic growth with a socially just transition that benefits the many rather than the few. So I would say the second deep transition for me is a direct challenge to our existing understanding of a capitalist system as the answer. That's me, though. That's not anybody else. That's not Jigsaw Foresight. That's Victoria Ward speaking. Dr. Wendy Schultz.
2: I will say that the work that the entire team, including us, uh, emphasised in the deep transitions process was not just three desirable, different and, and desirable in different ways, three desirable future worlds, but three just and desirable and sustainable future worlds. And so you can't talk about that without facing the massive inequalities that are only being amplified by the last 10, 20, 30, or more years of policy to go back to the question about you know using this theory on politicians and, and political regimes. So th- the focus on, on um a viable world for human civilization needs to be a just world because it is too destructive otherwise and we're seeing um we're we're seeing that in the politics of today in the United States in the UK in Turkey in all of the places where you've got people who are so concerned and so worried about their future and their children's future that they're opting for authoritarian and strong leader regimes just because it feels like they're being offered security. And if we make the economic system just, there'll be less of that.
0: Okay, and last question um, again from Hugh Purser. How can system change be accelerated given that it is longer term um, than either partial redesign or optimisation?
1: Lovely. Well, systems change is both fast and slow, isn't it? Uh, so, um, I think if you, if a number of seriously influential investors were to join the lab, apply the principles, talk about the consequences of that experiment, bundle up their investment in the systems chain's way and use that as the forward edge of a new kind of sustainable investment, it would take off. Because most people don't want to make destruction. And then you would end up with different kinds of friction between the people hanging on to the old system and the people with the new, but would deal with that when there is enough of multiple niche investment that is intending to change multiple systems, and then monitoring that and telling stories about it and calling out what that can look like, so I think some of it could happen quite fast, and then that paves the way for the slow bits and the faster it ha- the faster people talk a bit, jump in, take a chance and talk about it rather than keeping private about it, the more there's a chance of creating a following so there is some element of a a movement here without being sort of over activists. There's some element of people signing up to a movement. Wendy?
2: I'm gonna rephrase that a little and, and emphasize it. Allies. So investors finding allies that share this these concerns and that share this set of understandings, who then go out and invest in ways that enable people who are innovating and are creating startups to find allies um and interconnections across systems so that again we start building ecologies. Why is Apple so powerful? Because Apple built this insane ecology of software and products and developers and technology, and it's you know kind of Apple's eating the world rather than the worlds eating Apple, right? So allies and ecologies, and the 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 more allies, the more extensive the ecology the more likely you are to hit a tipping point faster. And once you hit a tipping point, then things cascade very rapidly into transformative change.
0: Thank you. That was that was so nice to have a sort of inspiring, positive um, talk for a change. <laughs> so thank you very much both for sharing your time and expertise with us today. It is really a fascinating and fundamental topic. And thank you again to our sponsors for making these webinars possible, and of course to our inquisitive audience for logging in and asking such intelligent questions today. Don't forget to check out the forthcoming events page on our website. We've got lots more thought-provoking content coming up, including on Thursday, uh, looking at Mauritius and um, Liechtenstein on Wednesday the following week. And then on Thursday the 29th, they're looking at the EU financial services, legislation and associated initiatives. So thank you very much, everyone, and have a lovely afternoon.
2: Bye. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you.